at the end of the day, I'd analyze like, oh, I spent three hours doing the estimator's job. Why was I doing that? You don't realize it when you're doing it, but at the end of the day or the week, you see how much time you really lost of working on the business instead of in it. You're listening to Toolbox for the Trades, brought to you by Service Titan, a podcast for top service professionals, where we interview leaders for their best tips and tricks of the trades. Learn how industry trailblazers stay ahead of the competition and how you too can be at the forefront of an industry. Let's jump in. Hello, contractors, and welcome to Toolbox for the Trades. Today, I'm chatting with Tasha Roberts, the president of ASAP Commercial Doors in North Carolina and Arizona. Tasha got into the trades in a very unconventional way, but the company has tripled since she took over leadership at her parents' business. We spoke about her successful apprenticeship program, borrowing systems and processes from other trades, and the plight of oldest daughters everywhere. Enjoy. Tasha Roberts, you are the president of ASAP Commercial Doors in North Carolina and Phoenix. Since taking over the company, you have tripled it. Right now, you're focusing on optimizing and streamlining growth. Honestly, you've got so much good stuff to share. I can't wait to get into it. But before we do, I'm going to ask you an icebreaker. If you could meet any living person for dinner, who would you pick and why? I think a lot of people in like the personal development and business space come to mind because I'm not very big on movies or music or anything like that. I'm kind of weird in that way. So who comes to mind actually is Ed Milet. I think that he's like one of my biggest mentors, I'll say, even though I don't know him personally, but he's just so brilliant in business and kind of just has a really great emotional intelligence. And I think I would learn so much from him going to dinner. That's awesome. What's the name? Ed Milet? Ed Milet. Yeah. He has a best-selling book out right now, but he's like a really popular speaker and business person. So if you haven't heard of him, research him. He has a podcast as well. Awesome. I'll definitely have to check him out. Never heard that name before. So I definitely will do some research. So now that we got that out of the way, and I like that you said, like, I don't really like movies and music. Is that something you have to caveat (laughs) often to with people is like, not really into that kind of stuff. Yeah, they're like, have you heard this song? I said, no, I don't listen to the radio or anything. <laughs> oh, it's all good. So let's talk about how you got into the trades, which you're a listener of the podcast. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge as well. So you know that I always love to ask the question, how did you get into the trades? But you got into the trades in a pretty unconventional way. Would you mind sharing your story? Yes, it's a long emotional story, but I'll try to keep it short for everybody. So The company actually started in 1999 in Phoenix, 1999. My parents started the company, but kind of started just from my dad leaving his company before he was in the door industry. And my mother was also in the construction industry as an office manager. So they joined forces and started ASAP. It was called ASAP Door Repair at the time. Um, So I kind of just watched them grow the company as I grew up. I never had too much interest in it. I mean, I would go help file papers and stuff like that, but I I was never involved in the business. I went into the corporate world, I guess. So I was in commercial, I was in finance doing trading operations for a bank. So in 2016, my 
uh, parents were in a tragic motorcycle accident together. They both survived, but they were out of commission for months. They were in a hospital in comas. We weren't sure if they were going to make it. I was the oldest, or I am the oldest of my siblings. So I decided to quit my job and go step into the company um, because they were very much owner operators. They were day to day in the business. You know, all of the employees were like, what's what's happening? What do we do? They didn't even literally know what they were doing the next day. So somebody had to step up. I decided at that point to take over. And then after a couple of months of taking leave from my job, I decided that, you know, they weren't going to be able to come back in any way. So I decided to just quit at that time. Ever since then, that was 2016. There's been a lot of changes and growth and learning on my end, but that's how I ended up in the trades. That's an incredible story. And I know I speak for my listeners as well by saying I'm really happy that your parents were able to make a recovery. And I know they work in the business now with you as the president. That's correct? My mother does. Yeah, she works in the office. Um, She's about to retire. So that's awesome. You know, luckily she had her and my father had set up a really good life for themselves and their retirement was all set to retire at 55 and she's turning 55 this year. So she is retiring. (laughs) Nice. That's awesome. That's so cool. Congratulations to her. So you mentioned that you took a few, you took personal leave from your trading job. By the way, can I just say when I started Toolbox for the Trades, there was certain search engines that thought that my podcast was about trading, like trading stocks and bonds. So I'm finding it very funny that you came from the trading world and now you're in the trades. I don't think anyone's joined this show, so I haven't been able to share that anecdote. So thank you for that. Anyway, so you took that leave of absence. I know, you know, stuff was crazy at the time. Your parents are in the hospital. You don't know what's going to happen to them. And you're trying to piece together their business and keep it afloat. What was the, when you decided to leave the corporate world and work for your for ASAP full time, was there any excitement there about taking on a new opportunity? What were your feelings about that? I will say that the first couple of months, maybe even the first couple of years, were kind of just like a whirlwind. You know, had my parents in the hospital still and trying to care of my siblings and the family and learn this business. So I can't even say that I really remember all the details of what happened, but it was a little bit overwhelming at first, kind of trying to, you know, learn everything along with lead a team of people. You know, I was a young woman in the trades and I had a bunch of men that were much older than me. Like, who is this little girl coming in trying to tell us what to do? So learning how to be a leader, learning how to understand even the business itself and the trade. I was just, it was all very challenging at first, but a lot of evolving has happened over the years. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you could go through a circumstance like that and not evolve. I think that's pretty much a guaranteed way to change you as a person. I know you said that it was a blur. And so I totally fine if you don't have specifics on this, but I would just know, I would love for you to like talk a little bit more about what it was like to wrap your head around the trade while you were running a business at the same time. You had the business side of things, the operational stuff, and then you actually had to learn the trade that your business operates in. Like, what was it like to to manage those things simultaneously? It was a lot, but I felt that I needed to learn the trade just so I could 
understand what I was doing and have, you know, my coworkers and team members respect me because at first I had no idea. So just learning it is something I wanted to do for myself. So I spent a lot of time watching videos, putting myself through classes, understanding blueprints, you know, trying to figure out what door hardware was and really diving into the heads of the team members that have been there the longest and learning from them. And then as far as the business side, like luckily I kind of have the business mind anyway. So I I understood, but they did have a lot of processes that were on paper, you know, they were hundred percent, everything was on paper and on a whiteboard and trying to kind of put all of that together and read different people's handwriting. Like it was just, it was just a different world than it is today. So I will say it was overwhelming at first, but we figured it out. For sure. Yeah. I, I like trying to read everyone else's handwriting, like your parents employed <laughs> a bunch of doctors or something that were looking for a difference. But I totally get that. I like, I still struggle with reading certain people's handwriting. So totally understand. Um, well, not totally understand that very specific thing that you had to deal with. But I mean, I, I think like, I just want to say before we kind of get into it, because I really want to learn how you grew as a leader throughout this process. I just have to say, you get so much kudos for me for even taking this challenge on and for coming out. Again, I mentioned at the top, you've tripled the business since taking over ownership. And I just think that's really amazing. And I hope you give yourself as much credit as you deserve. It's pretty incredible. I know one of the things that you struggled with was learning how to delegate. So can you tell me a little bit about that journey? Yeah, so I think a lot of it is just kind of like control issues, uh, my husband would say anyway, but uh, I guess it all started with, you know, getting out of the business and I'll throw in there a couple of years ago, my husband and I started and sold a commercial cleaning company. But during that process, when we started the company, we hired on a business coach. And I've never had any sort of formal coaching like that before, never took any classes or anything like that. I always kind of thought that I knew everything. But this guy was really awesome. And although he brought, you know, he brought us on as cleaning, he also would look at what I was doing on the door company. And he really opened my eyes, asked us, what are you doing? Why are you trying to do everything on your own? Why are you working 80 hours a week? And, you know, you're not moving the needle because you're doing daily, you know, tasks that anyone could do. So he really um, opened my eyes and made me delegate and show me that, you know, what I was doing, because I was just so busy in the day to day, I didn't realize what I was doing. So it all really started with that business coach. And we kind of restructured the business, hired on assistance where needed and develop processes after he made me realize what what was going on in my own. You know, you mentioned how being in it, working 80 hours a week, you're so in the weeds, it's impossible to even think about how do I delegate? So can you, if you can remember, it's okay if you can't, but if you can remember, and I'm asking this kind of selfishly, because this is what I'm struggling with right now. How were you able to like zoom out and really look at the tasks you were doing? Did it require you to like do a 48 hour, I'm not taking any meetings. I'm not doing anything. I'm just zooming out here. Like what was that like to actually get into the thick of it and figure out how you were, how you should delegate? Yeah. So the first step, which I've also done with other people on my team since I went through this process. It was very helpful. I had a, my coach made me fill out basically a time tracker each day for a week. So down to like every 15 minutes, he made me write down what tasks I was doing. So at the end of the week, I turned it into him and he pretty much 
analyzed it and said, okay, well, you spent these many hours doing tasks that somebody, you know, you could hire on Upwork could do for $10 an hour. You know, he basically lined it out and showed me like how much of my own time I was wasting doing tasks that other people can do for me. So that kind of opened my eyes. I didn't even realize I was spending so much time doing certain tasks. So since then, we've hired, you know, virtual assistants um, that have helped me. You just, I've taught them how to do service Titan. You know, they help me with everything. Um, And then a bookkeeping team. So I don't have to do any of the accounting stuff. So it just started by like looking at really what am I doing every day? And after that, it's kind of just been like, now I want to delegate everything. Nice. Yeah. So 15 minutes, every 15 minutes, you just wrote down, okay, for the last 15 minutes, you know, I planned out my day or something, or I took a meeting or would you get super granular? Yeah. Yeah. So I'd be like, okay, well, I was helping this person do an estimate at this time. And you just like, so then at the end of the day, I'd analyze like, oh, I spent three hours doing the estimator's job. Why was I doing that? You don't realize it when you're doing it, but at the end of the day or the week, you see how much time you really lost of working on the business instead of in it. Yeah. I'm really wondering, like, I would love to do that exercise for myself. And I'm wondering how many slots are going to be like disassociated on TikTok for 15 minutes. <laughs> like, did you include real stuff like that? Like just sat and like, just like scrolled my Instagram discover feed or something, or do you not struggle with social media? Like, like uh, I, do? I don't think I, I don't think I disclosed any of that. No. <laughs> All right. That makes me feel a little bit better about doing this exercise myself. So you and I have something in common. We're both eldest daughters, oldest siblings. I have a younger sister. It sounds like you have more than one sibling, right? I have two siblings. Yep. Okay, cool. So I, whenever I meet other eldest daughters, they tend to be folks who kind of have all their ducks in a row, are very organized and don't easily ask for help. At least that's something that I certainly struggle with. And I wonder if that was similar to the kind of habits you had to break when learning how to delegate. Yes, that sounds right. I don't like to ask for help ever, even when I need it. So that was something I had to break because at the end of the day, like, no, I'm not an expert on marketing and accounting and all these things that I understood enough to run the business. I knew it wasn't going to take us to the next level if I didn't start outsourcing certain things. So it was a it was a habit that yes I want to be in control of everything and organize everything myself but I knew that would only get us so far. So getting rid of certain tasks was definitely necessary to move forward in the business. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for indulging me on that little role that that little eldest daughter tangent. I personally think that sometimes when you look at how you do stuff, how you behave in a certain way, you can see similarities in different roles that we play in our life, whether that be worker, daughter, wife, girlfriend, obviously I'm doing gendered female ones, but it's just something that I'm noticing. And it's obviously bringing up, I'm bringing up in the podcast, something I'm thinking about and I want to talk about. Do you agree or do you see, are you like, nah, Jackie, you're not making any sense? (laughs) No, I think there's a correlation there. And I mean, it's just interesting how different even... I am from my siblings. And it's like, that's kind of crazy because we all grew up in the same house, but you know, we all just kind of went different directions and have different personalities. And maybe it is an oldest daughter trait to be (laughs) not ask for help and everything. Yeah, perhaps. So after you became owner and you officially took on the role of president, you said in 2020, right? I think it was 2021 actually. Yep. 
it was the middle of the year. All right, cool. So you officially became president of the company in 2021. I know that you did a rebrand of the company. Can you tell me a little bit about that rebrand and how it helped the company grow? Yes, we actually went through the rebrand towards the beginning of last year, I believe. I think it was maybe around this time last year, we actually finished everything. We brought on um, Prolific, which I don't know if you're familiar with them. It's similar to Dan Antonelli's um, branding. He works with trade companies. It was really awesome, the whole process. Um, But I met him at Tommy Mello's event last year. And I was like, you know what? I need a rebrand. I saw a a presentation about brand and (laughs) kind of the photos and videos that they were showing of trucks that they had taken over and like they were kind of making fun of them. I was like, oh my gosh, our vehicles look like that, you know? So it was kind of a wake up call. I never even really thought of until I went to, I start going to these events and I see other brands that are more dominant. But yeah, we went through that whole process. We rebranded, changed our name slightly. We went to ASAP commercial doors and I decided to cut out residential altogether. So we're hundred percent commercial now. Rewrapped all the trucks and did a new website, new uniforms. So it's kind of just knew everything. And that's really been awesome. You can see the change and just, I mean, everyone, even in the company, it's kind of like everything got a facelift and uh, everyone's a little bit more confident. And we get calls all the time from just like, oh, we saw, we saw your vans or your trucks and they're so pretty. And that's why they call us. And it's just really cool to see that whole transformation. That's awesome. What made you ditch residential, by the way? Most of our work was commercial to begin with, but we did have that small sector of residential that would call in. And for me, it was just like commercial and residential are two separate customers, right? So like all of our marketing, all of our training was not aimed towards residential. So it's just a different customer really. And that's why I made that decision. I didn't see the point in doing both and trying to service everybody. So we decided to just cut that out and we set up some referral agreements between companies, you know, in Phoenix that we go back and forth. So it worked out. Very cool. Very cool. I like that you said that give the rebrand kind of gave the whole company a facelift. And I would love for you to tell me, I know it's kind of hard. We're, we're recording videos. So people might be seeing our faces on YouTube if they're watching on YouTube, but this primarily an audio format. I'm wondering if you could give me a visual paint me a picture of what the old brand looked like compared to what it looks like now. The best way I can describe it is just like clip art type of stuff. And I mean, you know, it was from the nineties. It was older. It just hadn't ever been changed. I think clip art and then non-clip art is a phenomenal way to just describe it. Cause like I've, I've had Dan Antonelli on the show, as you know, and we talk about brand and what that can do for a company all the time. And so I just love to hear that was a great experience that you had as well. What I've not heard so much on the show is people deciding to go full commercial instead of going full residential. Typically we, I get the switch and that a lot has to do with the fact that Service Titan's primary customer base is HVAC and plumbing, which has a pretty big residential focus. Doors, a little bit different. Because you're commercial, the full commercial, you have a lot of different customers from general contractors to commercial property managers to single business owners. But I would love to know, like, what sales strategies did you borrow from the residential service model to set yourself apart from your competition? Um, I will say that we use a lot of stuff from residential just because I feel like uh, the residential trades as a whole is a lot more complex than anything commercial. So 
that started really, I guess it really started with Service Titan. Somebody introduced me that was on residential. They're like, hey, you have to use this platform. It's not for commercial, but I think you can make it work. So we we did. And ever since then, you know, I started attending events, meeting different people, all in residential and kind of just using their strategies. As far as residential strategy would be the sales. So we hired on Service MVP, Joe Crisella's team to coach my team members and really show them like, hey, this is how you build options. This is how you talk to customers and kind of like that in-depth sales and tactical training that they've never had before because we don't have anything like that outside of internally um, for commercial. So we utilize that, change the scripts to make it work for commercial. But at the end of the day, it's you're talking to a person and that's 99% of it. You just got to change the verbiage and connect with them in a different way. I would love to know anything that you borrow now in your commercial model, anything that you would like to share. (laughs) I would say there's probably a lot of things that we do. Last year, we visited some HVAC shops. uh, So we went to NextGen, went and saw Ishmael's shop, and that was just a whole different operation. So we learned some things by visiting that shop and seeing how they operate. I have other companies, friends that are, own HVAC companies. So I kind of just pick their brain and I know that they are on Nextstar and have some coaching strategies that I learned from him. And then I use it in my own business, converting it to commercial. Uh, I switched everybody over to performance pay. So I will say in the commercial world, it is common for most people to be on an hourly pay or a salary for a technician. Um, but I switched everyone to be on performance. So more sales and performance driven than hourly. Financing, we offer financing, which a lot of commercial companies don't do. So I got that idea from obviously residential companies. We just had to find a different carrier that would do commercial. So we offer Mm -hmm. the financing for customers and memberships. We sell memberships as well. So we made that model work for our company as well. That's so cool. I love that. I think, see, I told you I was going to say it before. (laughs) Just a quick peek behind the curtain. Before Natasha and I uh, hit record, I shared with her that a common phrase I use while recording the show is, I love that. And I told her, I was like, I'm going to say it during this episode. It's going to happen. And it just did because I do. I do love that. You know, I think it, it legitimately was genuine. You're in two different markets, right? You're in Phoenix. You're also in North Carolina, which is where you operate out of. And I know that I'm assuming in some of those markets, you've got some, a lot of small business owners, right? Yeah, I would say that's, that's a good percentage of our business is single building owners, small business owners, just calling, calling the first company that they see or that they know of. So that's actually probably more common here in North Carolina than it is in Arizona. A lot of Arizona is newer buildings, which means they have facilities managers and property managers, but out in the Carolinas, it's older buildings. So I think that's why we see more single building members. So a little bit different of a customer base. Yeah. But I think that's also why financing and memberships can really work, right? And tailoring those estimates to those business owners. I'm just really, I'm honestly, like, I'm just really happy to hear that you, because this is something that we've been talking about on the show for a few episodes now, expanding your purview from like 
let me stop looking. Like I'm going to look at what other commercial garage door companies do, but I also want to see like what other folks in the trades are doing. And I think that just shows that you're willing to examine, be willing to be flexible and adapt processes you think might work to your business, test them out, see if they do work. Because you've mentioned to me that you're a super operations-based, very like analytical mind. So I imagine, you know, it took a while to figure out for, for how financing and memberships could work, but you if it didn't work, you wouldn't keep doing it. That's how you come off to me. Am I right with that? I'm so very much like I come thoroughly. up with a new idea and then I just go with it. But then if it doesn't work, I'll just stop and do something else. Like I'm just, I kind of have that. I guess I didn't know I had an entrepreneurial mind until I got into the business. Then I was like, oh, so I am like my dad in that way. <laughs> hundred ideas at That's once. That's very cool. Um, but yeah, the memberships at first, it was difficult because in service time, it's not necessarily built for commercial, but there's definitely ways to make it work. And it is very important in the commercial space as well. I mean, you have a warehouse that has 20, 30, 50 overhead doors, you know, that's, that's a safety hazard. If something's not working properly, it's really important to have them in those memberships and make sure they're always, you know, up to safety standards. For sure. For sure. I'm letting you know, by the way, that after this episode airs, you're probably going to get a lot of random people in your <laughs> inbox asking you questions like, wait, wait, how are you doing that? How are you doing that? That's awesome. And awesome that you're giving back, right? So we've been talking for a little bit. I want to be mindful of your time, but I cannot let you go without telling me about your apprenticeship program because when we first talked, you mentioned that everyone who's been through it still works for you right? <laughs> yep. I would say we maybe have had one apprentice not make it through, but most of them, yeah, they, there's not any really any turnover ever since we started that program. So I will tell me all about it. Give us all the details. <laughs> so I, it started about two years ago. We were having a really hard time hiring qualified technicians, or if we would hire them, they were not a good fit for our company. <laughs> So this was actually about the same time that, you know, I had the the coach in my life that was helping me with the time management and all of that. And he helped us determine, you know, core values for our business and really brought it back to basics. And like, hey, you have to establish what you want for a company, what you want in your people. So at that time, I went back and I established core values for the company. And I decided, hey, we're only going to hire based on core values. And a lot of the people that were qualified just weren't a good fit for us. So at that time, I decided we're just going to build technicians. I kind of started hiring before I knew what I was doing, but we hired in a group of apprentices, built a training facility in our warehouse in Phoenix with a bunch of different door simulations and different ideas I came up with in my head. We built it out. We, we had our more qualified techs become trainers, and we spent every day for you know, three to four months training these guys from, from start to finish, like how to how to use these tools if they weren't mechanically inclined, you know, what the, all the different door stuff was. So we brought in people with zero experience, put them in our training facility, put them in the field doing ride-alongs. And yeah, they it, it worked out pretty well. I mean, within three to four months, we have most of the guys in a truck making money. So 90 days is the goal. But of course, there's other qualifications that come, you know, the more doors you do, there's different certifications that you actually have to go to school for. But that you can easily become a tech or installer in a short amount of time. That's the basics of the apprenticeship yeah. program. That's awesome. And do you pay them while they're becoming an apprentice? We pay them. It's not a lot. It's an hourly wage because I want them to still be 
you know, hungry to, to make sure that they get in a truck and make that money. Um, and part of that is also they go through the sales training at the same time. So simultaneously, they're going through all the service MVP training. They must graduate from that in order to get in a truck as well. So they're kind of learning both sides of it. But yeah, they do make an hourly wage until they are on their own. Got it. Very cool. I just, I'm, I'm just given there's so many people out in the world uh, laden with student debt and not having jobs that can even remotely cover it. I just love when I hear about businesses like yours that are teaching folks a skill set and multiple skill sets too, not just doors, but also sales skills. Like you were saying, you're paying them for their time and you're showing dedication to them in such a way that they are eager to continue working for you. I think that really is a testament to your team that so many of your apprentices have stayed through with you. Um, And I just need to give you credit again on knowing that you have to build your talent. That is everyone who comes on the show is saying the exact same thing. So I think it's wonderful that even though you didn't, sounds like you didn't know what you were doing, you you knew you had to do it. So you did the program anyway, and it's been successful. Right. Yeah. I, it took me a, a couple of years of doing it wrong before I was like, okay, this is not working. Let's, let's go about this a different way. And really it's like, I learned a lot by, you don't hire people based on their experience. Yes, it's good, but you can, you know, you can build experience, but it's really what type of person are you hiring? What are their values? Do they align with our company values? If not, then at the end of the day, it's not going to work out as long as, as much as you try to make it work, it's not going to. So it took me probably four or five years before I realized that and had a lot of turnover. But yeah, like you said, I love hiring people into the trades because they can make a lot of money and I don't want them to have to go through college. Like I went through college and I don't use my degree and I had a lot of student loan debt to pay off. And I don't want to see anyone have to go down that road if they don't have to. But we do hire in a lot of, you know, 18 to 22 year olds. That's a big part of our apprenticeship. And then after the first couple of rounds, we actually don't even have to post on hiring boards. They refer their friends and then their friends come and become an apprentice. So it's become a system that we've just replicated. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing that all with me, Tasha, and sharing that, you know, it took you a while to figure out how to make the program work, but it is working. And that I think is really, really cool. We're coming up at the end of our interview time here. (laughs) I've asked people this question before and they're always like, why didn't you give me notice on this question? So if you don't know the answer (laughs) off the top of your head, that's okay. Can you tell me what your core values for hiring are? Thank you for asking. I'm proud of them because I made them an acronym ASAP. So (laughs) then they're like, they're on our walls everywhere. They're on everything that we do because I want to always remind people about this. Act with integrity. S, strive for excellence. A, always be learning. And P, positive attitude. I love that. Again, there's another one. There's another genuine. (laughs) Yeah. Always doing your best. Always be learning. I really push all these guys like, what's the next step for you? Do you want to be, you know, this type of certified technician? Do you want to be a certified welder? Like, so I always try to push that. And then I always encourage them like, hey, we'll pay for this training for you if you want this next step certification. I always want to be learning. So I want them to always be learning as well and making themselves better. And then positive attitude is a big one for us. Like if there's ever anyone that's, I know people have bad days, but just the negativeness like that. I let that go for a long time in the company and it's just a cancer that spreads. So that's one of our biggest things too, is if somebody is off, everyone's like, Hey, what's going on with this person? Like, why is he not happy today? And it's, it becomes known if you're not 
you know, being positive at work now. So that core value is big for us as well. And then, yeah, I just, I was like, I really want to make this into ASAP. So we picked ones that worked for that. I a hundred percent think that is a fantastic idea. It actually took me a while professionally to, to embrace the positive attitude uh, for a variety of reasons, none of which we have time to get into today, but it really does make a difference. And I noticed that when I'm positive, it's, it spreads, right? You know, whatever attitude you have, especially if you're in a managerial leadership position, if you have that attitude, it's going to spread and it kind of becomes like a a cancer almost. And you really have to be mindful of it and know where to cut it off because no one ever wants, no one wants to come into work and like be negative all the time. It's just not a good, it's not a good vibe. Right. Exactly. And you'll see it. Like I watched it happen for years. You know, I'd see a tech with a bad attitude, negative attitude, and whoever this he was working with, you know, that person would develop the same attitude within a couple of days. And it just, it just spreads and it's crazy. And if that person quits, usually the person that they were working closely with quits as well, just because, you know, it's, it's like a cancer really. So we try to stay positive yeah. and make it a family environment. And we, do a lot of things to bring everyone together all the time. So it's not perfect, but definitely once I no longer tolerated that, the whole company changed. That's awesome. I really, really, really love to hear that. Tasha Roberts, it was awesome to chat with you today. I think you're doing a phenomenal job. I can't wait for this episode to go live and for more people to hear your story. Uh, Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. Are you a power user of Service Titan? Join the Torch Network, our exclusive community of top users. Network with peers, influence our software's direction, and participate in reference opportunities with prospects. Enjoy exclusive benefits, such as special content and events, discounted Service Titan event tickets, and brand exposure. Click the link in our show notes to join the Torch Network today and take your Service Titan experience to the next level.